Well, good morning. And as Dr. Zeidem has mentioned, it is good. And it's a joy to gather together as a community of God's people to worship and to praise God and pray together as we start this academic year. What a joy to be able to do it again in person. We had a convocation, but I'm not sure any of us really remember it. So I want to hearken back a little bit today to a convocation two ago, which was our first one as Dort University. And we're not superstitious people. Some people did say, well, when we changed the university, we didn't have a commencement, and, and those, but I'm not. We're going to keep university, and it's all good in God's providence. But what a good way to culminate our week of welcome. And just a few introductory comments. I want to say thank you to the Week of Welcome team, to those faculty and staff and the WOW leaders who really energized and planned for the arrival of all of our new students. That kind of leadership is exemplary and appreciated. A word about my observation of the week. Um, I'm full of joyful and hopeful expectation. This freshman class that's joined us seems to be full of life and energy and throwing themselves in and they're joining the upper class students and the first year students from last year are catching a feel of what this place is really like. Yes, we do have perhaps at 1,400 students, we'll make a formal announcement about that in 10 days when the official report comes out, but 1,400 undergraduate and 1,700 overall, those are both high watermarks for Dort University, but that's not the point about how many. It's about every one of them as image bearers of God that have come here to be prepared for kingdom service, and so welcome to all of you. This morning we do come a little bit with heavy hearts, students not only because you at 115 had to go in the basement of all of your dorms, that was a rude awakening perhaps for some of you from calmer climates, we come with heavy hearts with the actions and, and turmoil uh, overseas. And I just want to note a couple of things this morning. Um, one is that the flags on campus are at half staff because of the loss of life yesterday in Afghanistan. As we begin the ceremony today, I want to offer up a special prayer. Could I ask Laurel and Helming to stand and see where you came in? A year ago, Laurelyn's husband, Jordan, was uh, called into active service for a year. So it was almost a full year, maybe nine, ten months, that he was away. And he came back uh, this summer from service. He was in Iraq, but some of his soldiers were indeed transferred to Afghanistan. And the flag that's on campus in front of the commons is a flag that Jordan brought back. Um, gave it to me just a week or so ago. This was the plaque that came along with it. And last March, um, he asked for a flag to be flown over Iraq um, with the recognition that it would be returning to Dort University. And Laura Lynn, we are just so overjoyed that Jordan is back. We want to thank you for your service um, as a trailing spouse. Uh, we hope we supported you well in the last year, but would you all just join me in a short word of prayer? Lord God, we live in comfort here with freedom with nary a care in the world compared to some. And so our hearts this morning do extend to Afghanistan and the trouble there. Um, the families, both the Afghans as well as our soldiers who this morning are missing a spouse or a dad or mom or whatever it is, Lord. And so we pause at the beginning of this ceremony to acknowledge and to thank you 
for protecting Jordan for the past year. And I ask you to continue to bless Jordan and Laura Lynn as they make family again this year and get all the normalcy back. And we do thank you for his service as a chaplain in Iraq in this past year. And we trust you, Lord, with all of this. And may it not be far from our hearts each and every day. It's in the risen name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So this morning, whoop, sorry. I want to harken back to 2019. It was our first convocation as a university. And at that time, my title of my address was Lest We Forget. And I challenged us that we were only about 65 years old at that time. This is our 67th convocation. And while we still have Soli Deo Gloria and the cross and the Bible at the middle of our seal, I challenged us that 65 years isn't all that impressive when you look at the history of Christian higher education in the United States. And so we want to continue in each and every generation to continue to, to make the purpose, put meaning behind the signals and seals and mottos that we have here and make it real in every aspect of our life. And so today I just want to reflect a little bit on a couple of Dort historical things as it comes together and then show you one thing that I'm not sure we've been terribly reflective about and perhaps a way for us to deepen meaning around what it means to make a defense. And so we'll go there a little bit, but first, the founder's vision. These words were first written in the 30s after a school in Grundy Center, Iowa closed. It was the early Dort. It wasn't called Dort at the time. It was called Grundy College. It closed in the 1930s. But a group of faithful Christians said, we can't let that die. And they kept the vision going, and it turned into Dort University in 1955. And these words were written to not just be a thin Christian university or college, but to be a thick one, to have a deeper and higher and larger vision for what Christianity means in the context of higher education. I moved here 25 years ago to teach, and I found a place that took seriously the claims of Christ and the biblical truths in every area of campus. At one time, somebody wrote this about the radio station we used to have, that the mission statement for the radio station was several times as long as the Athanasian Creed. That's how seriously we take things. Before we do something, we study it. We put it through the screen of a Christ-centered culture. We put it through the biblical truths, and then we do it hopefully distinctively. So let me just tell you about the, how this place got its name, and I'll do so with the words of our founding president, Reverend B.J. Hahn. Listen with me.
I love what he says there. When people want to talk about our name, we can talk about something significant. We can talk about those principles you see. And that's the kind of university we have been, and I want to call us to continue to be. A principled place that just doesn't do things because other universities do them or it seems to be the thing to do, but that we do them with intentionality. And so, as I've thought through this a little bit, I wanted to make sure that the, particularly the new students can say Dordrecht. Can you say it with me? Dordrecht. You don't get a diploma unless you can say that. You'll, you come up the week before graduation in my office. No. Dordrecht. 400 years ago, a group of people came together to think through things. And, and this is an interesting thing. The guy on the right, Johan van Olden Barneveld. Again, you have to be able to say that before you leave as well. Interesting. Back then, there was a national church. And actually, Johann was a politician. He ended up being beheaded in the last days of the Synod of Dort. It's not one of our best stories of the Christian worldview. But it was because politics and the church were so intertwined in a negative way that the politician took sides in the church battle and ended up losing his head. It's an important thing to think about, about how then later on, Domine Kuyper talked about sphere sovereignty, the ability for things to be separated, that there is a proper role for government and there's a proper role for the church and the school and the family, but because they were intertwined back then, they had problems. And again, just to knife back to 2018, pre-pandemic, Barb and I went over November of 2018 to the opening of the 400th anniversary and we were honestly a little bit disappointed that it was really a tourist deal for the Netherlands as opposed to a religious deal, but that is the king of the Netherlands bringing a state Bible to the museum. And that is me up on the stage at the ending back in May. We also went back for the closing ceremonies. So there is this connection to this little bit kooky and crazy name of Dort. But this is what troubles me this morning. This thing called defenders. And it's not just in athletics. Now we've come to talk about ourselves as Defender Nation. Freshman, when you came in the other morning, I said, welcome to your office at Dort University. Welcome to Defender Nation. And so we've taken on this, I would say, personality as defenders. But I've never heard anybody tell me why, biblically, why we became the defenders. I've looked in the archives. I actually called Reverend Han's daughter who's still living, Katie, this week, and I said, where did that come from? She said, I think it was like a lot of things back then. One night, Dad came home and at the kitchen table said, we need a mascot. That's how presidents do things, you know. <laughs> and what I've always said when people ask me, well, where did the defenders come from? I've just always said, well, defenders of the faith, and I've kind of had to fake it. Because it, sent, it seems to me it's one of the things that has not been intentionally dug down at, like our name or our educational framework or our educational task, and I think that's missing for us. And again, this isn't just about athletics. If we're going to call ourselves Defender Nation, I think we have to think through that a bit. And so over the last year, I've come to do some of that thinking, and I want to share that with you today a little bit. But first, just defenders generally. Perhaps you know, so how many kids from Valley Christian High in Bellflower, California are here this morning? I know there's a couple. You're the defenders, right? Used to be the crusaders, but then you saw the light and became defenders about 
almost broke the community up. There were people who said, my kid's not coming. Anyway, it's a longer story. The Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, is looking for a new moniker. Defenders is in their top eight. I think we'll find out probably before the season. So we could have the Washington defenders as well, which I think would be preferable to the presidents, but that's a whole other story. Um, I'm kind of a geek about colleges, history, mottos, mission statements, and those kinds of things. I'm also about mascots. So let me just share a few, just for silliness. Um, this one, the chokers. Now, where's Van Haften? Chokers, right? One, two, three, choke, right? As you break the huddle for the last. Apparently, the choker is that chain that helps carry logs down. They must be somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest. Kind of thought that was a little odd. Um, and then there's the fighting artichokes. <laughs> Scottsdale Community College, the fighting artichokes. A lot of artichokes are, are grown there south of south, uh, Scottsdale and Yuma. Thought that one was a little odd. This one is really troubling to me. Ohio Wesleyan, the battling bishops. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but who wants a mean minister for your logo? I just, I don't get that. I, that one really caught me off guard. The purple cows of Williams College haven't won anything ever. You can just tell. By, that one just really, really troubles me. This one cracks me up. Presbyterian College, which I'm guessing if we told, asked them what a Presbyterian was today, they probably wouldn't know, but I don't judge. The Blue Hose. They were originally the Blue Stockings, and then it moved over to Hose, and they kept it for some odd reason. I, but probably my favorite is, is Evergreen State University. Anybody know what that thing is? It's called a gooey duck. It's called a gooey duck. Look it up. It, it's very troubling. Um, his name is Speedy. His name is, and, and look at the marketing. You can come to Camp Speedy for youth camp. That's just, I think they should have called him Creepy instead of Speedy, but again, I don't judge. But again, I, I'm just a little bit of a, so a few years ago, we decided to, to visualize um, the mascot for the first time. People have, yeah, certainly had lots of things to say about it. But notice one thing, that the kneeling posture. And I think that's important for us from a servant perspective. I understand he's built for battle, and there's plenty of passages we could go into that, that allow for that, but he's kneeling, and I think that's important. His cross is down into the ground. His cross, his sword, is into the ground. And I think it's appropriate. But again, we've never thought much beyond that. So I came across this passage in the last year, and I think, I don't know that it's within my purview to do, but at least I want to think with you for a few minutes this morning about this passage. And the key here, again, is from 1 Peter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, those who are after you, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good that it should be God's will and for doing evil. And I really want to focus this morning on just 1 Peter 3.15 as a bit of a calling card perhaps for the year, 
But also in the Reformed tradition, we have not been known well for something called apologetics. Apologetics is a, is a thought pattern in Christian thinking that takes this verse very seriously. That Christians are called to be ready to give a defense. To be able to explain to people of the hope they have in them. And I'm not sure I've been very good at that in my life. I'm not sure we as an institution have. And I think it's part of the continued growth and development of us as an institution that if we're going to be seriously Christian, we need to take this seriously. And if we're going to call ourselves Defender Nation, there better be a purpose, a reason, as Reverend Hahn talked about. We can talk about something principled that has meaning from Scripture. So the word defense in that passage from the Greek is apologia, apology. And again, you can use that in the term of saying sorry, and that's not what we mean by it, or a poor substitute, definition three that you see here, as that's a poor apology for a car or whatever it is. But it's in that second meaning, something that is said or written to defend something that other people criticize. So I want to challenge us, if we're going to be Defender Nation, and we're going to use that as our mascot, both in athletics across the entire institution, to take some of that seriously. And, and by God's good grace, we've got some people that can guide us in there. And I came across this quote from R.C. Sproul that really put this on my heart in a heavy way. The defense of the faith is not a luxury or intellectual vanity. That is to say, it's not optional. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, it's not optional to be ready to give a defense. It is a task, task, that's one of our words, a task appointed by God that you should be able to give a reason for the hope that is in you as you bear witness before the world. I am very encouraged that as our athletic teams have over the last five or six years talked a lot about the defender way, that they're starting to put meaning and purpose beyond what it means to be an athlete at Dort University and carry that piece of the defender. And I hope today just builds on that, not replaces it, because that work that they've been doing is very, very good. We also have another guide among us. This summer I read Justin Bailey's new work, Reimagining Apologetics. Didn't look for him ahead of time. Thank you, Justin. Great work, a great way of thinking new, fresh thoughts about apologetics. And so I'll look for you in the years to be one of our leaders to say, what does it look like for us to get better at being able to be a witness, to provide a defense, and those kind of things. So I'm just going to take apart this passage phrase by phrase a little bit with you and give you some of my thoughts on it this morning, and then carry them with you into your classes and into your dorms and on the athletic field and into the weekends. And let's try to live this out a little bit more intentionally than maybe we have in the first 67 years or so. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Holiness, actually, I mentioned Ohio Wesleyan. Anytime you see a Wesleyan school, that comes from the holiness tradition. We're reformed. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't also be holy, however. Things like the fruit of the Spirit should be evident to all. Things like love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we living that way? If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, it's hard to be His witness. 
It's hard to be able to give a defense for the hope that's in you if you're not walking daily. So my encouragement to all of us, myself included, daily Scripture reading, prayer, chapel, praise and worship, meaningful Sunday attendance at worship, small group, Bible study, those are the kinds of things that are going to ready us to be able to give a good defense. Becoming more Christ-like means having a personal relationship with Christ. And while we're on the subject of being able to talk about holiness, I want to tell you a little Dort story. Some of you will know that on the right, that's not Paul Fessler's grandfather. That's Abraham Kuyper. I don't know why I thought it looked like Fessler. Maybe it's just me. That's Abraham Kuyper. Not a saint here, but certainly one of the people we look to intellectually and theologically in our tradition. The person on the right was one of the members of his first church when he got out of seminary. Picha Balthus was her name. She stopped going to church shortly after Reverend Kuyper became the new pastor. And he came to visit her and said, why are you not going to church? She said, because you don't know Christ. Quite a thing for a young milkmaiden to say to the new pastor. But Reverend Kuyper talks about it that his relationship with Picha was one of the ways in which she showed Christ to him and he continued to meet with her throughout his life. And he admits that I knew Christ up here, but I didn't know Christ in here until Picha challenged me. And I think we all need to, when we're pursuing a Christian academic degree, to also pay attention to the personal and the devotional and the Christ-like if we're going to be his defenders of the faith. Always being prepared to make a defense. This is scary. But if somebody did happen to walk up to you and say, hey, I understand you're a Christian, our athletes, anyone, you go to Dort, it's a Christian college, why? Are you ready to make that defense? Have you thought through it effectively? If we haven't, then we're not living this out. Who knows where it'll happen? It might be in the grocery line. It might be after a track meet. It might be on spring break. Hey, that shirt you have on, that dort, it has a cross in the middle. What's up with that? Are we ready to make a defense? Have we thought through it ahead of time? Are we walking with Christ and are we ready? To anyone who asks you, in apologetics, And in Christian thinking, there's an old adage that says, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So let me ask you this, and I'll ask myself as well. If I look at my finances, the way in which I spend my time, the things that I post on social media, would anyone ask me about Christ? No judgment. Just some challenges to us all, myself included. If we're going to represent Christ, our audio has to match our video if we're going to be winsome witnesses and effective defenders of the faith and a culture needful for Christ. Maybe that makes you scared to be a defender. It does me. But remember this, who wrote these words? Who wrote these words? Peter. Peter is calling us to be a defender of the faith. The one who Christ told maybe 12 hours before he was sitting around the fire and the servant girl asked whether he knew him. 
And three times he denied it, having been pre-warned. But he was forgiven. That helps me rest in the fact that if I've not been a great Christian witness in my past, it doesn't mean I shrink away. Grace is abundant. Grace was offered to Peter. Grace is offered to you. So if you mess it up, God will forgive you. And he'll continue to teach. But you have to be ready to give a defense. And for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Are we living as hopeful people? If we're not, I don't think anybody's going to ask. So I want to challenge us to live in hope. Yes, the events that are happening in Afghanistan, the events that are happening in our country, the worry about the coronavirus, your own health. Perhaps you have a family member struggling with health. Perhaps you've recently lost a loved one. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not. Through Christ, he has called and said, I have overcome the world. So we need to live in hope. So those are just some reflections this morning. And lastly, I pick up this one from Justin in his book. Reimagining apologetics, doing it in a new way. I think one of the reasons that some Christians shy away from being an apologist or being ready to give a defense is because that old mantra from apologetics that no one was ever argued into heaven. And therefore, we shy away and we just say, let my life be an example and maybe people will want to come to know Christ that way. And I think that's true, as I've mentioned earlier. If our audio is not matching our video, I don't think anybody's going to ask. But I also don't think it's enough to not be ready with a logical, propositional, a familiarity with Scripture to be able to have it called on through the Holy Spirit if you're in a conversation with somebody, but always to do it with gentleness and respect. I do believe that, that sometimes we're nervous about being Christians because others haven't done it with gentleness and respect. And I think we can call ourselves to do that both on this campus as well as in culture when we're trying to live as his witnesses and be defenders for the cause of Christ. Hospitably reformed is a term we've been talking about here for better than a decade. And I think that's that gentleness and respect that needs to come out. And the reformed principles, I think, are part of being ready to give a defense. Because there is a long tradition in the reformed way of thinking of being able to bring people through the creation the effects of sin, the power and effective work of Christ, always yearning, always standing with an eye on the present and an eye into the future, awaiting Christ's return. But we need to do so hospitably. To be able to say, maybe I'm more familiar with Reformed doctrine than you are, but that doesn't make me any better. Let's talk about your tradition. Let's talk about what I know, what you know. Let's look into Scripture together to be defenders, to do apologetics, to be winsome witnesses for Christ as we do our work. Now you may say, that's not why I came here. I came here to be a nurse. I came here to be an engineer. My question to you this morning is, in terms of being ready to give a defense, if you're a nurse, you're going to be ready when that cart comes through the ER, and you're going to have studied the theory behind it and practiced it. Well, if we're going to be ready to give a defense, Maybe we need to have that theory behind it. Part of your educational journey here is to be ready to be a nurse or an engineer or a doctor or a teacher. We're going to teach you that as well. 
But as R.C. Sproul reminded us, this isn't optional for us. If we're to be defenders, if we're to be witnesses for Christ, we need to spend time, just like we spend time being ready for the NCLEX exam or the engineering training exam or the fundamentals of engineering exam, we need to be ready for our exam because we don't know when it's coming. When somebody might come up and ask about that logo on your shirt or why you spend your Sunday mornings at church. And when they do, I hope you're ready to be winsome witnesses. And I hope through that, that we can more tangibly and more intentionally and authentically live out Defender Nation. And I'm going to end with this because 1 Peter's not the only place this idea of being ready to give a defense comes. We also have it in Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and the servant whom I have chosen, that you may, and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And lastly, from Acts, just before Jesus left us, he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Sioux Center, Afghanistan, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So as we do so this year, may we live more fully into defender nation than we ever have, and may we be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Have a great year.